So today, uh, we are going to wrap up our series entitled Brothers Keeper, and we have spent the last three weeks talking about what does that really mean and the significance of being our brother's keeper, specifically in the time and the age that we're living in. So let's look in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says this, Afterwards, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded, Am I my brother's keeper. And we, we kind of recognize some things on week one. We said there are really kind of two significant truths that we need to understand. The first one is simply this. If you are a Christian, then you have a moral and a spiritual responsibility to be your brother's keeper. If you're a Christian, you have a moral and a spiritual responsibility to be your brother's keeper, and you and I are actually commanded by God to love one another as Jesus loved us. So if you're a follower of Christ today, you don't have an easy out. As a matter of fact, God's kind of holding our feet to the fire, and he's challenging us to recognize something. You know what? We are our brother's keeper. We are commanded to love and care for one another. The second significant truth that we kind of laid down as we began this series is we recognize that not only are we commanded to be our brother's keeper, but the closer that we get to the end of the age, the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the closer we get to his return and the end of the world as we kind of know it right now, the more we're going to need each other. The more the church is going to need the church, the more we're going to need to strengthen and encourage and help one another because the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we're going to need each other and the more the world needs to see Jesus. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more we need each other and the more the world needs to see Jesus. And one of the things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is we've talked about how significant this is. Because if we're going to reach a broken, hurting world with the gospel, then we need a strong, healthy church. The church has got to be strong. we got to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. we got to be healthy and whole. And guess what? Part of our health and our strength comes not just from being rightly connected to God, but from being rightly connected to one another. Jesus is the head, but we are the body of Christ. And we need, come on somebody, we need each other. And whether you're in this room or you're watching online, the truth is there will never be a day in your life when you won't need the body of Christ. And when you feel like you don't need the local church, it's because you have been deceived by the enemy, usually through hurt or offense, to pull away from the very thing that God intended to be the instrument to strengthen, equip, and empower you to rise up and do what God has called you to do. So, the closer we get to the end of the age, the more we need each other. And not only the more we need each other, but the world needs the church. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And the church has got to shine. Can I get an amen from somebody? So let's look in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 because we kind of recognize something. We recognize that the New Testament model for what the church is supposed to be birthed in Acts chapter 2 and the Apostle Peter's instructions in 1 Peter chapter 4 really tie hand in hand. Peter kind of repeats 
with a little exception of one thought, what we see in Acts chapter 2. And so I want to just kind of revisit those this morning and just kind of look at this concept of what it means to be our brother's keeper. So Acts 2.42 says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the doctrine of Scripture, our beliefs based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And it says, And they devoted themselves to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayer. So last week, we kind of drilled down on the idea of how important it is that if we're going to be our brother's keeper and we're going to care for one another, then we have to be devoted to the Word of God, right? We've got to be devoted to the study and the teaching of Scripture, and we've got to be devoted to earnest, heartfelt prayer. Why? Because we need to be devoted to Scripture so we can encourage each other according to the truth of God's Word to live godly lives in the midst of an ungodly world. And the only way you can encourage somebody in godliness is, number one, you've got to know God. <laughs> Think about that. How can you encourage somebody in godliness if you don't know God? And how are you going to encourage somebody in godliness if you don't know the Word of God that gives us the standard for which our lives are supposed to be lived? And so all of a sudden, we got to be devoted to the Word so that we can encourage one another and strengthen one another spiritually to live godly lives. we got to be devoted to prayer. The Apostle Paul taught us last week that he said, when you join me in prayer, you actually join me in my suffering. Right? We partner with one another through the sufferings and, and challenges of life when we pray for one another. When I pray for you, I join you in that struggle. And prayer not only partners us together, but prayer releases the supernatural power of God. Right? Signs, wonders, and miracles. Can I get an amen? Amen. What I love about Liberty Church is that we pray for a lot of people. Well, not only do we pray for a lot of people, but we see a lot of people get healed. We see a lot of people get delivered. We see a lot of people get set free. We see marriages restored and families put that together. And we see people who are battling with anxiety and depression and suicide be delivered by the power of God. We see God show up and show out over and over and over again. And that is the result of being devoted to the Word and devoted to prayer because those two things allow us to encourage Encourage and strengthen one another spiritually in the things of God so we can grow because we need a strong church to reach a broken world. Amen? So this week we're going to continue on because look what the next scripture says. Verse 8. He says, but most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. So cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. For God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts, so use them well to serve one another. So this week what we're going to do is we're going to drill down on the second part. We've got to be devoted to the Word of God and devoted to prayer, but we also have to be devoted to sharing and serving one another in love. Come on, somebody. And we're going to talk about that. Why? Because when we encourage each other through the Word and prayer, we're meeting the spiritual needs. But when we share and serve one another, we meet the physical, financial, and relational needs. And how many you know you're a body, a soul, and a spirit? You don't just need spirit ministry. You need body ministry. You need mental ministry. You need relationship ministry. Let's be honest. You need financial ministry. We need it all. 
And so all of a sudden we begin to recognize that there is a holistic view of what God is wanting to do in the church. The New Testament model for Christianity is not let's just address the spiritual need, but through the Spirit, now let's serve and share with one another what God has given us so that we can meet not only the spiritual, but the physical, financial, and relational needs that rise in everybody's life. So let's look back at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to do a little deep dive there again into that scripture. Verse 42 again says, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. Listen to this. They met together in one place. Somebody say, I love church. They met together in one place. The New Testament model, they met together in one place. And they shared. Y'all say shared. They shared everything they had. They sold their property, their possessions. They shared. There it is. They shared. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. Somebody say, I love church. And each, look what it says, they worshiped together each day in the temple, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Somebody say, I love small groups. And they met in homes. Where did they meet? They met in church, and they met in where? Homes. Corporate worship, small group meetings is the biblical model of church, guys. This is why we do what we do, because this is the biblical model of church. It says, and they shared their meals. Somebody say, shared. Shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They probably had a barbecue cook-off. They were Jews, probably not. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, listen to this, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Verse 43 says there were signs and wonders. Verse 47 says there was salvation and transformation. Why? Because when the church does what the church is supposed to do, God shows up, God shows out, people are healed, people are delivered, people are saved, and people are set free. Can I get an amen from somebody? And here's the good news. We're the church. How awesome is that? We are the body of Christ. So let's, let's look at that point that I skipped over there for all you note takers. Somebody's going to come at me after church. Pastor Keith, you missed this point. Let's back up to it. So we are a brother's keeper, right? We are a brother's keeper when we share and when we serve one another in love. When we share and when we serve one another in love. Because sharing and serving go hand in hand. You can't share without serving and you can't serve without sharing. When you share what God has given you to meet the need in somebody else's life, you just serve them out of your financial provision. When you serve somebody out of the gifts and talents that God has given you, you just shared your life and the gifts that God has imparted into your life. And the Bible says this, every good and every perfect gift comes from above. So every good thing in your life, physical, financial, relational, or spiritual, is a gift from God. And all the messed up stuff in our lives is us. We can take credit for that. But the good things come from Him. Can I get an amen? amen? So today, what a great joy to know that we get to be our brother's keeper by sharing and serving because God has met our needs. Look at that next point. So being my brother's keeper means that I realize that what God has given me, my talents and my treasure, is not just for me. 
Being my brother's keeper realizes means that I got to come to a place where I realize that being my brother's keeper means I realize that my talents, the gifts that God has given me, and my treasure, the financial provision that God has put in my life, is not just for me. As a matter of fact, if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, then the Bible says that everything you have belongs to the Lord. And you're actually not an owner. You are just a manager of everything that God has given you. As I was studying this, the Lord reminded me of a devotion I read a couple years ago. It was written in the early 1900s, and the gentleman that was writing this devotional was remembering when he was a young person. He grew up in a very wealthy family. He grew up in a very wealthy family, but he grew up in a very kingdom-minded family. He said, my mom and dad modeled generosity. They modeled compassion. They modeled what it meant to be a brother's keeper. He said, I grew up in that culture. He said, but I also grew up in a hard-working culture. My dad never believed that you just gave anybody something because you just wanted to give it to him. He said he believed in work and the work ethic, and he trained us as kids to work hard and to work toward our success. He said, I loved boats. And he said, I remember thinking to myself, before I graduate high school, I want to buy my first boat. And he said, so I started saving. I started working, and I started saving. I started working, and I started saving. I started working, and I started saving. He said, about time I was about to turn 18 years old, my last year in high school. He said, I'd saved enough money to buy this little bitty boat. And I was so excited. And he said, I'll never forget my dad. I was getting ready to go purchase the boat. My dad sat down with me. He said, son, he said, I just want you to know how proud I am. I want you to know how proud I am. I've, I've been watching you since you were about 12, 13 years old. You've been saving for this boat. You've been working all the opportunities you've had to work. You've been doing all these extra chores and different things. And I'm so proud. I want you to know how proud I am of you that you've been disciplined and worked so hard. Literally for almost five years now just to buy this boat. He said, but before you go and buy the boat, he said, I want to ask you one question. He said, how are you going to use the boat to build the kingdom? How are you going to use the boat to build the kingdom of God? And the man was writing the story, thinking back of when he was 18 years old. And he said, you know what? He said, I had been well raised. He said, I already thought about it. He said, I told my dad. He said, Dad, he said, you know those three boys in the youth group that I'm mentoring? He said, every week I'm going to take them out in that boat. We're going to go fishing. And every week when we're out in that boat, he said, I'm going to stop. We're going to take a little fishing break. And he said, I'm going to break out my Bible. And he said, we're going to do about a 15-minute devotion. I'm going to talk about with these guys out here on the ocean, out here on the, the lake fishing. I'm going to talk about what did Jesus mean when he said, let's be fishers of men. And he said, every time I take that boat out, I'm going to take a young person with me. And we're going to have a devotional time. And he said, I'm going to use that boat to build God's kingdom. Because he realized something. He realized that everything that he had really wasn't just for him. He realized that he wasn't an owner. He was just a manager of what God had entrusted him. Now, let me tell you some really good news. God is not stingy. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be blessed, prosperous. He wants you to have exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ask or think. God wants you to not only enjoy your life, but have a bounty in life. Right? God's not against the good things of life. He's not against you enjoying the things of life. He just wants you to always remember that everything that you have, your talents and your treasures are not just for you. They're actually for others. About 
15 years ago, I, I, I built a relationship with a guy in town. He goes to another church. He's a brother in the faith, and, and uh, he's, a, he's a millionaire. And I'll never forget, I was talking to him one day, and he said, Keith, he said, he said the thing about money is this. He said, I realized a long time ago, he said that, that God has met my needs. God has met above and beyond my needs so that I can meet the needs in other people's lives. God has went above and beyond to meet my needs so I can meet the needs in other people's lives. And then he told me this, and I thought, well, one day maybe I can figure this out for myself. He said, Keith, I'm just going to tell you. He said, there finally gets to a point where more money is just more money. He said, you can only live in so many houses. You can only drive so many cars. You can only buy so many boats. You can only take so many vacations. He said, there finally has to come a point where you realize this all can't be just for me. It's actually for others. And what we're going to do today from Scripture is we're going to see how God defines what that really means. Because it's amazing what God puts in His Word. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up His life for us, so we ought to also give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, there it is, right? God wants you not to be broke, busted, and disgusted. God wants you to live well. As a matter of fact, the Bible says a good man should leave an inheritance to his children's children. So God doesn't want you just to have enough for you to bless your family, but to actually bless your children's children so that a second and third generation can enjoy the blessing of God upon your life. But listen to what the Bible says. If God has given someone enough money to live well and he sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? If I have what I need and more than I need and then I see a brother or sister in need and I don't have compassion on them to help meet that need, then how can I say the love of God lives in me? Right. Now, now let me just, let's just be honest. I say this all the time. Church is a good place to be honest. So let's be honest. Here's, here's the honest truth. Liberty Church helps, helps a lot of people. And every day uh, through the week when the office is open, we have people come in for financial aid and financial assistance. And the truth is, is that sometimes, many times, the people that need help really just need to get a job and go to work. Right? Sometimes the people that need help, right, you know them. They're in your family. They're in your circle. Sometimes the people that really need help really just, to, really just need to get a job and go to work. So let me give you a clue. God does not reward laziness. God says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So neither should we. Right? So when God talks about seeing a need and meeting a need, He's not talking about rewarding lazy people that won't work. He's talking about meeting legitimate needs in people's lives that are doing all they can do and still don't have enough. Because let's be honest, not only are there some people that are in need because they need to get a job, there are some people that are working hard and doing all they can do with what they have where they're at. And it's still not enough. The baby got sick, they missed a week of work, something happened with the car, the washing machine went out, and the dryer tore up. And have y'all noticed all those things come in pairs? <laughs> yeah, really threes. People die in threes too, by the way, that's all added bonus, if you had noticed that. <laughs> 
I'm a preacher. I know that thing because I do funerals. One, two, three. I'm sorry. That's a soul side note. I'm sorry. Y'all are all freaking out. Y'all are counting funerals now. Let's go back to what we're talking about. So all of a sudden, we recognize that when the Bible says to meet the need, it's not talking about rewarding people that don't work. It's about supporting people that are doing all they can do and they still have a legitimate need. And the truth is, there's a lot of that around us, guys. A lot of people struggling, working, doing all they know to do, and still coming short just to meet the basic necessities of life. And if you're like me, and I know you are, I love to meet those needs. Kelly and I love to bless those kind of people. How about you? Amen. It's so much fun to help people that are really trying to help themselves. What a blessing that is. He goes on, listen to this, verse 18. He says, so dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. Right? Words are cheap. Actions speak louder than words. So look at that next point. So sharing and serving is to be done twofold. It's to be done individually and it's to be done corporately as a church. Now let me just say this to you today. You don't need anybody's permission to help somebody in need. You don't need anybody's permission to help somebody in need. Sometimes we get this churchy mentality where, well, if we see a need, we need to call the church and the church order to help them. Well, let me back it up just a little bit because, number one, we are all the church, but individually you are the body of Christ. So if you see a need and you have the ability to meet the need individually, guess what God tells you to do? Meet the need. Serve that person and share with that person to meet that need. Right? You can share and you can serve individually. And every day we have opportunities to do that in the church and in the world as we live with the people that are around us. And all of a sudden, we all know right now, some of you are thinking of some illegitimate needs and some of you are thinking of some legitimate needs in some people's lives that you know. So individually, we take responsibility because I am the body of Christ. We are members one of another. And so I don't need permission to meet a need. You don't have to call Pastor Keith to say, hey, there's a guy that I work with, needs $100. I got $100. Should I give it to him? Don't call me. Just give it to him. If you got it, give it. If you don't, pray. Amen? So individually, we meet needs. Corporately, we meet needs. Look at the rest of that statement. So you don't need permission to meet somebody's needs, but sometimes we need each other to meet the need. Sometimes the need is bigger than what you can do individually. Sometimes it's not just an individual. Maybe it's a family. Sometimes it's not just a family. Sometimes it's a community. Sometimes it's a group of individuals that need help, that need support, that need love, that need care, that need to be shared with and served through the love and grace and provision of the body of Christ. And so the Bible calls us, commissions us, commands us to love one another with this kind of love. Again, not that we lack and they abound, but that out of our abundance we get to share with those who are in need. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read 15 verses. Is it all right that we read the Bible in church today? A lot of verses. We're going to read them. But, but I, I, the reason this is important is... 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 15 sums up so beautifully what we're talking about. We see the heart of God. We see the model of brotherly love laid out right here in scriptures. And it almost preaches itself. It preaches itself so good, I'm going to do my best not to preach it. Except for a couple points. 
So I'll say, bless Pastor Keith. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about the Macedonian churches. Now, listen. The Macedonian churches, verse 2, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. So the Macedonian church is enduring hardships, and financially, they're not a rich church. They're a poor church. And he goes on. He says, but they are also filled with an abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. I, I, want, you to, I want you to see a, a little simple truth right here. He says, they're suffering hardships. How many of you know everybody around the world in some form or fashion is suffering some kind of hardship? And financially, he said, they're not rich. They are what we would call poor. They're ordinary, everyday people living from paycheck to paycheck. This, this is a, a poor church. He says, but they're overflowing with joy. They have this abundant joy in their heart. Let me tell you why. Because joy comes from Jesus. Right? Joy comes from being rightly connected to God. Joy comes from being in a right relationship with the Lord. But I want you to see what happens. He says, because they are abounding in joy, they overflowed with generosity. Let me tell you what you'll never find. You'll never find a grouchy, generous person. Generous people have joy. And if you start to give and giving makes you grouchy, then don't give. Did you hear me? That's the Bible. The Bible says we don't give grudgingly because God loves a cheerful giver. If giving makes you begrudge giving, then don't give. That ought to bless you. God is not this cruel taskmaster in heaven forcing us to do things we don't want to do. He is a loving Father trying to lead us into a path of prosperity where He can meet our needs to an abundance so that we have an overflow to help other people. So he says, because they had joy, because they were rightly related to the Lord, they had an overflow of generosity. And I want you to see how this works. Joy, because I'm rightly connected to Jesus, produces a generous heart. And out of my generosity, guess what happens? You get more joy. <laughs> you can't be generous and bless people and not be blessed. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God refreshes, Proverbs, the generous soul. <laughs> he refreshes the generous soul. Now, just in case I hadn't told y'all, we're not taking an offering after church today so everybody can relax. People are like, boy, you're probably talking about giving a whole lot right now. All right, let's read on. Y'all with me? Everybody good? I didn't hear you. Y'all good? All right, verse 3, look what he says. Verse 3, he says, For I can testify that they not only gave what they could afford, but they gave far more. And they did it of their own free will. Again, nobody's being forced to do anything. He said, and they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gifts, in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to try not to stop again. But I want you to hear this because this is huge. He says, they begged us again and again for an opportunity in, the, in giving to the church in Jerusalem. What was he talking about? Well, when you do a little history study right there, you find out that the church in Jerusalem had been destroyed. They had been through a war. Do you remember 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Their cities were destroyed. Their homes were burned. They had been through a war they were suffering a physical famine and they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ and when I read that I immediately thought of Ukraine in the middle of a war 
suffering famine, and being persecuted for their faith. And I just want to pause right here because when I thought about Ukraine, I just want to stop and I just want to say thank you. And we say this a lot at Liberty Church because it's the truth. We are a generous people. And Liberty Church is a generous church. And I want to just thank you again for your generosity. Liberty Church, Arab and Holly Pond, we gave $37,000 to the Ukrainian Relief Fund. Come on, somebody. That's awesome. $37,000 to the Ukrainian Relief Fund. So I want you to think about this. So we gave individually. We gave corporately. But guess what? We're bigger than Liberty Church. We're actually a part of a network of related pastors called NRP where we are related and we are connected to 50 other God-centered, Jesus-loving churches. And guess what? Because you individually gave and we corporately gave and then we were a part of something bigger than ourselves called NRP. NRP, all the NRP churches together gave $639,000. And Pastor Keith Tusi is on the ground right now in Romania working with the distribution churches where we are feeding the hungry and ministering the gospel and providing housing for families as we talked about for the next six months and just this past Thursday I believe it was Thursday or Friday Pastor Keith and another NRP pastor took a truckload of food drove it 12 hours into Ukraine into one of the hottest war zones to deliver food to one of the distribution churches there. And that all happened because of your generosity. That's a powerful thing, guys. That's a powerful, powerful truth when you think about that. There are 41 albino children, 41, Diana, in Uganda, in Lira, Uganda, that have a future and a hope because of the generosity of Liberty Church. There are over 35 families every month that walk through the door of our food bank ministry whose lives are forever being changed because of the generosity of Liberty Church. There are single moms and widows who walk in the doors of our church every week who are facing hardships and trials and their electric bill and their water bill that are about to be cut off gets paid and provided for because of the generosity of Liberty Church. People that can't buy their medicine get their medicine because of your generosity. Why? Because when we give individually and we give corporately, we can make a difference. Because that's the church, guys. That's the church. All right, let's read the rest of this scripture. He says, but they even did more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, he's talking about to the Corinthian church again, to, re to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love. I want you also to excel in the generous act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. For you know the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be made rich. So so here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first ones who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. So now you should finish what you started. So let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. And look at this. Give in proportion to what you have. For whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So many times people get tripped up because they want to focus on what they don't have 
When God says, don't worry about what you don't have, you can't give what you don't have, I want you to focus on giving out of what you do have. What is the abundance God has given you? What is the provision God has provided you? What is it that is above you living well that allows others to experience the needs of daily life to be met? And such a beautiful picture of the church. He goes on. Verse 13. He says, of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for you. Don't take food out of your baby's mouth to feed another baby. Don't get your electric bill cut off because you're paying somebody else's electric bill. Right? We're not trying to pre create hardship for anyone. Look what he says. He says, I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and you can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and they can share with you when you need it. And this way things will be equal. He's not talking about socialism, by the way. <laughs> and as the scripture says, look what it says. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Look at this last point. We're going to hang out here for just a couple minutes. And I'm going to land this plane here today. The church creates a conduit. A conduit for sharing and serving that goes beyond our individual reach and that empowers us to touch our world in a significant way. And it is this joint effort through the body of Christ that empowers us, think about this, that strengthens the church and reaches the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to read Acts chapter 6. And we're going to read about seven verses and then we're going to close. But, but I want you to see something. As we read these scriptures, I want you to see. Because in Acts chapter 6, Acts 2, the New Testament church has been birthed. Acts chapter 6, they have actually experienced some growth. And now they've got some problems. Let me give you some good news today. Growth always creates problems. So if you're growing, you're going to have new problems. Because you're outgrowing the system that you currently had in order to go to the next level that God's calling you to go to. And so when there's a problem, we get excited. Praise the Lord. That means we're going to grow. That means we're going to go something and do something we've never done before. Because maybe there's a gap. Maybe we missed something. Maybe we didn't see something. Maybe there's a hole in our system. That's good news, guys. Because that means we're growing and developing and becoming more than we've ever been before. But listen to this scripture, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So let me just say this to you. So here's the Hellenists, and they recognize, hey, our widows over here are not being fed. We're feeding the widows, but there's a whole group of widows being neglected in the distribution of food. So they arose a complaint. They said something. Let me just encourage you. If you see something, do something. And once you do all you can do, then you ought to say something to get somebody else involved. If you see a need, do something. And when you've done all you can do individually, then say something to the church so that corporately we can do something bigger than what you could do. Let me just boil it really down practical today. I want to give you a... a, a, a if you forget everything, remember this one thing. Here's, here's my challenge for today. If you see a need, meet the need, right? So when you come to church on Sunday morning and you recognize that the person that normally sits in front of you is not there today, instead of wondering where Chris is or Sally is or Jim is, why don't you leave church 
and go home and text them, call them, Facebook message them. And say, hey, I just wanted you to know we missed you at church today. We are our brother's keeper. And I'll even give you an easy out. If you've been worshiping with them and they sit in front of you, but you may not even know their name, you call me. I'll tell you their name and I'll give you their number. And then you can reach out to them because I'm going to tell you what's going to bless them. It, they're going to be blessed not just that Pastor Keith missed them. They're going to be blessed that that person that's been singing off key in the back of their ear for the last three years <laughs> actually realized they weren't in church. And you said, hey, I just want to say I missed you today. By the way, my name's Keith. What's your name? If we implemented that one principle, we could never build a building big enough to minister to the people God would bring to Liberty Church. That one principle, I'm just telling you. Because what we assume is Pastor Keith will do it, or the church will do it, or the leaders will do it. But you're your brother's keeper. I don't sit next to him, you do. You sit next to him every Sunday. You know when they're not there way before when I know they're not there. Because they're not there. So be your brother's keeper. One thing would change the trajectory of any church if we would implement that one principle. All right, let's read the rest of the scripture. Credy, you can come up if she's here. I don't know if she's here. There she is. She's got a baby. No coming up today. You're good. I leave her hanging sometimes, so I didn't want to leave you hanging today. Here's Miss Embry. Look at that. Awesome. Thank you, Emory. It says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that we may appoint them over this business. Look at verse 4. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So I want you to hear this. They said, hey, there's a need that needs to be met. There's a physical, financial need that needs to be met. But the apostle says, you know what? It's not right that we leave the Word of God in prayer. Why? Because we've got to be devoted to the Word and to prayer. And we've got to be devoted to sharing and serving. Because it's not a take it and leave it. We can't just meet spiritual needs and not meet physical needs. And so they said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're, this, is, this is a good thing because now we're going to meet the spiritual need, but we're also going to meet the physical need because we're going to empower people to do what God has gifted them to do. And I just want to let you know our connection track is all about empowering you to do what God has called you to do. We want to help you do what God has called you to do. And that's what they did. And verse Five says this, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip and five other guys that I can't say their names. Don't that make y'all feel good? Verse 6, it says, and they set them before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now look at verse 7. This is where we're going to land the plane. Here we go. And then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Three things happened because they followed the four-step model of the New Testament church. They were devoted to the Word, they were devoted to prayer, and they were sharing and serving those who were in need. And when they fully embraced that, look what happened. Number one, the Word of God spread. And let me tell you why I believe the Word of God spread. I believe the Word of God spread because when you start meeting natural needs, it opens spiritual doors. 
Every time you feed the hungry, every time you clothe the naked, every time you provide for a physical need, that physical need opens a spiritual door where the Word of God spreads into that person's life. You guys know the greatest testimony that Liberty Church has in Arab, Alabama, and now we're gathering that in Holly Pond, is that Liberty Church is the church that helps people. That's powerful. You know why that's powerful? Because every time we help meet a physical need, we open a spiritual door and the Word of God begins to spread because people begin to talk about that church that helped them when they were at their lowest moment. And then the second thing happened. It says, and the disciples multiplied. And the reason the disciples multiplied is they empowered people to do what God had called them to do. And let me tell you what empowered people do. Empowered people empower people. (laughs) And discipled people disciple people. And healed people healed people. And all of a sudden, we see that the disciples begin to multiply and they begin to grow. Why? Because they started empowering. It got outside just a handful of people. And we said, hey, we're going to empower the church to do what the church does better than any other organization on the planet. And that's to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then the third thing happened. And I almost missed it. I was studying the scripture and I almost blew right by it. It says, look what it says. It says, and many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And I said, Lord, what does that mean practically to us today? He said, Keith, think about it. He said, the priests were under the old covenant and they lived by the law. He said, and these men that lived by the law were now coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Religious people were becoming righteous people. And the modern translation was simply like this. He said, Keith, that means that church-going people. I mean, no, not just Alabama, but America is full of a lot of church-going people. He said, church-going people become soul-winning, disciple-making, devil-stomping Christians. He said, that's what happens when you do what I've called the church to do. So let's just bow our heads today. If you're watching online, I just want you to know that God is speaking to you right now. Whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online, wherever you're at today, I just believe the Holy Spirit is speaking and I want to just challenge all of us. If you're a Christian, I want to challenge you today to grab hold of those four elements of what it means to be your brother's keeper. Let's embrace it. It's not just the church job. It's your job. We are our brother's keeper. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now just to show you maybe one area where you need to just focus in a little deeper. Maybe you've neglected it. Maybe you've rejected it. Maybe you've passed it off and felt like that really didn't apply to you. But I want to encourage you. Let's fully embrace, devoted to the Word, devoted to prayer, sharing and serving what God has given us with others. I want to challenge you. Let's let's push into that right now. Let's be that church that lives the kind of life God's called us to live. Let's be our brother's keeper. Second thing I want to do, I do every Sunday, and that is this. Maybe you're here today. And you know that Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. Maybe you're watching me right now on the other side of the world and you realize you've never been born again. Jesus died, rose again on the third day, not to make bad people good people, but to make dead people come alive. Because the Bible says if you don't know Christ, that you're dead in your sins. And if you die in that condition, the Bible says you will will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But Jesus died so you wouldn't have to go there. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin so we could be redeemed. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're watching online and you say, I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, I want you just right now just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith. I want to pray with you. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji. Type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. 
But if you're in the room today, just slip your hand up. We want to put a packet in your hand if you're in the room today. If you're watching online, we're going to send you something to help you take your next step. But Jesus died for you so that you don't have to die without him. And you can be born again today. Let's just pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to say it out loud with me. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. I want to be born again and I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is what we're going to ask you to do. We love you guys. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, if you're watching online and you're in about a 15, 20-minute drive, you ought to get in the car and hurry up before the barbecue runs out. You ought to just join us. But we're going to have a great time. So I'm going to pray a quick prayer blessing over the food. Let me give you one more instruction for everybody leaves. Ushers are guarding the doors. Look at them. They're so good. I'm just kidding. They're not really. They're just sitting there. <laughs> Let me give you instructions. This is what we're going to do. You're going to pick your kids up first. If you've got children in child care, you're going to go get your kids first. And then we're going to go to my left through these double doors and through the double doors by the bathrooms into the cafe. That's where the serving line will begin. Okay, two things. When you go in there, there is free barbecue and food on the left. To the right, our youth are raising money for a ba- are selling bake sale goods for youth camp. So buy you some good home-cooked food, some desserts to go with your barbecue. And if you got a little extra, buy some to share. Come on, somebody. And bless our young people, and let's get as many of them as we can to youth camp this year. God bless you. You are dismissed. Lord, bless this food in Jesus' name. That was a quick prayer. All right, y'all have a great day. We love you. Fishing Rodeo starts at 1130.